my husband was a little bit disappointed. He's like, oh, what, what kind of beer do you think you're going to drink? I'm like, I don't think it's going to be like that. No, we should have. We should have. But it's a little early. I got to drive up island today. so. Well, you could always have me back on later and then grill me. There we go. We'll fire flip, baby. Flip it over. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I like it. Welcome to the Financial Independence Garage, where we share the tools to improve your finances and unfold the roadmap to financial independence. And today it is me, the money mechanic, with you as always, but I left my co-hosts behind today. They are not part of this episode. This is a little bit of a deep dive into the money mechanic and his journey to fire, or FI as we like to say. But I was contacted by a representative from Hardbacon, which is a new fintech in Canada. And along with a lot of other members of the FIRE community, we are sharing our story. And just in the hopes that people that are new to the FIRE community are going to have a place to sort of start and get motivated and get referenced. So today, the microphone turns towards Heidi, and she's going to interview me. Welcome to the show, Heidi. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for reaching out and offering to interview me. Welcome, and tell us a little bit about Heartbacon and a little bit about yourself. Hi there. Thanks. Yes, uh, my name is Heidi Milton. <clears throat> I'm currently finishing up my mat leave, but I've been doing some freelance writing, um, and that's how I came to um, be contracted by Heartbacon to produce some content for them on uh, the FIRE movement. So Fire Bacon is a fairly new fintech company out of Montreal. Uh, it started back in 2017. Um, it started for retail investors, um, an app you could add to your phone and link your investment accounts, and it would optimize your investments. Um, they would use AI to help you um, cut down on fees and really just give you more control of your investing. Uh, since then, it has now pivoted to almost like a catch-all financial planner that you can hold in the palm of your hand. So now you can uh, link your um, checking accounts, your savings accounts, not just your investments. So you've got like savings goals, budgeting, it'll it'll analyze how you're spending, where you're spending. In addition to that, you can set savings goals and other objectives. On the website, there's incredible comparison tools. So you can compare credit cards, insurance, mortgages, um, basically whatever you need, it's there. So for example, say you have crappy credit and you're trying to build that. Well, what's the best credit card for building credit? What's the best credit card for cashback? What's the best mortgage for my particular situation or best insurance? Um, it's really um, giving power to the people, kind of democratizing finance. It's it's a digitized financial advisor in the palm of your hand that puts you in the driver's seat. Excellent. Well, I'm glad they've got somebody like you that's doing this research and sharing all these fire articles because you're sort of, uh, you're excited about fire now too. So we won't go too long into this whole backstory thing, but uh, you kind of had a little bit of an aha moment yourself. I absolutely did. So the very first piece um, I did for them was just like five top tips to achieve financial independence. So to get to know my customer, I went to their website and I started creeping around a little bit. And I found an article about the FIRE movement and what it's all about. And it piqued my interest. So I emailed them back and I'm like, oh, this FIRE movement's pretty cool. I hadn't even heard about it. And they said, well, we have lots of content on FIRE. We'll start giving you more FIRE content. So of course, in my research for writing this content, I fell down the rabbit hole. I got bit by the fire bug um, and I am all fired up, but I am a newborn. I am, I have no idea where to start. Um, I'm feeling very overwhelmed and I'm very much in a unique position where I am hard bacon's target audience. I am the average Canadian that doesn't really know what to do. I just know that I need to do more. 
And the information out there is kind of like getting hit in the face with a fire hydrant. <laughs> like it's a lot. So when through my research and and the interviews, I've been kind of targeting um, the personalities and the resources within the fire community that that I feel are bringing most value to the table. And uh, FI Garage is one of the ones I reached out to because I really was drawn towards your podcast. Everything was very simple, laid out, well-produced, actionable advice that's not too overwhelming. So you're too, you're too kind. You know, we just sit around <laughs> and drink beer. <laughs> well, but that's what makes it so relatable. So I have a background in finance, ironically, not knowing what to do with my own financial situation. The bulk of my financial education is in credit analysis and credit and lending, not so much in actually nothing. I'm going to be honest, nothing in investing. Investing is not something I've ever dabbled in. It's very intimidating for me. Um, So my husband and I started listening to these podcasts and I like it for the financial information because it's so clear and concise and well laid out, well produced. My husband loves it because he's a beer enthusiast and he's a car guy. So you're getting the two demographics (laughs) together in one show, right? So that's what we love about you guys. Well, there's lots to learn and, and it is a great community. We'll talk a little bit more about it when you get into the questions for me. Uh, that, you know, people are just happy to reach out and, and talk about it and share because as Canadians, you know, we're all very sort of generous helping people. So it's, it's not hard. You, there's so many good blogs out there and you just reach out, send those people an email and, and more, more than likely they're going to get back to you. Yeah. And that's kind of how it all started with the, one of the pieces I did for Hard Bacon. I was doing a profile of the top 25 fire blogs. In Canada, and I sent them a quick email, and I'm like, you know, most of these bloggers are actively inviting their audience to reach out um, and ask them questions and, and build those connections. How do you feel about me contacting them? And they said, you know what? It's a great idea. Why don't you interview your favorites? Okay, I will. Perfect. So that's kind of how that got the ball rolling on on this interview. Yeah, so I encourage listeners to go and check out the other interviews in this series. And Heidi, when you asked me, I thought, well, I'm not quite as eloquent a writer as some of my friends like Talkan and Chrissy at e- and, and Court at Modern Family, because I know they probably sent you giant, great, long, very detailed articles and responses. And I thought, you know, it'd be better if I just kind of have a chat with you and, and share all this content and, and we'll do a, a show transcript that you can use. Perfect. Um, I was a little bit nervous because I was like, oh, as an introvert, I try to avoid the face-to-face interactions at all costs. <laughs> Uh, but one of the things I learned about the fire journey is that you've got to step out of your comfort zone, right? If you're going to make big changes, you have to be, you have to embrace discomfort at some level. So yeah, for sure. Good for you. And I'm a little nervous because I'm not usually the one that's being peppered with questions. (laughs) So I'm going to relinquish control to you now and you get to start with the questions and let's just have fun with it and uh, run through. And hopefully the listeners and readers can uh, learn something new about my journey. Perfect. Okay. Well, we want to start with um, how were you first introduced to the concept of fire and what was your aha moment that made you feel like, okay, this is, this is the journey for me. You know, that goes back to, I would say 2012 or 2013. Uh, As part of my job, I work overseas or I was at the time working overseas a lot. So I'd be away for three or four weeks at a time in a foreign country and not often with excellent internet. And back then there wasn't, you couldn't really like stream YouTube and all the rest of it. Right. But a friend of mine had introduced me to Mr. Money Mustache. And so it's always great to have some new content to read when you go on a long trip like that, especially, you know, I work long days, but there's a lot of downtime when the helicopter's busy that I, that I can absorb content. And it really was a great way to learn. And 
Mr. Money Mustache. He's just like the OG of the whole fire movement, in my personal opinion. I know there's lots of others out there, but he just wrote in a way that really spoke to me. It was impactful. It had some humor to it. And he just kind of said, you know, you can do this. You, you just have to make some choices in your life to improve upon. And he's a DIY guy. He was always kind of exploring and, and new things and, and trying this and trying that. And that's what really spoke to me. That was the aha, because that's really my story is I'm a DIY type person. I enjoy learning and I consider myself a lifelong learner. And, and so that was the aha. It was like, hey, you know, everyone will quote one of his great posts, the shockingly simple math to early retirement, right? It's like one of the easy ones to read. And it just makes you realize it's like, hey, if I really bump up my savings rate and get that money invested in working for me, fire's an option if you want it. That is awesome. So Mr. Money Mustache had been recommended to me by a friend a few years ago, and she lives extremely frugally, more so than I. So I have to admit, I made the mistake of like writing it off. Like I perused the website and I'm like, oh no, this is, this is too much for me. Like I like my Starbucks. I like spending money on convenience items. Like I am not a DIY person. So it did not speak to me. (laughs) However, I definitely will be going back to that website now that I have first, first of all, and I'm a different person now I'm older. This was years ago. I'm in a different place in my life and I have different priorities. So I think a lot of it comes down to like, where, where are you in your life? Where's your mentality at? Where are your priorities at? Because not everyone is ready to take that plunge for, for various reasons. Was there something going on in your life at that time where you felt like, I don't know if I'm articulating this properly, that made you more receptive to that? Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, at that point I was in my Jeez, I have to do some quick math here. I was in my mid-30s, mid to early 30s. Let's <laughs> not so get too dated here. But it was, I felt that I was at the time in my life where, you know, I had uh, I had sort of student loans when I came out of tech school and I worked really hard to pay those off. Uh, we left Canada for a while and then had come back. And I kind of was really reaching the point in my career that it was on an upward trajectory from an earning perspective, but I hadn't made any changes sort of impactful lifestyle changes that I was going to see some real growth of my money in the future. It was, I was still kind of on that paycheck to paycheck mentality and saving a little bit, but really not putting that money to work. So it just felt like that stage in your life where you're like really seriously thinking about buying a house, really seriously thinking about, Hey, what happens in 15 or 20 years from now? And that kind of, it was a moment for me that worked. Yeah, I totally relate to that because at the time that I was introduced to that, I was probably in my mid-20s. Um, future me, retired me, was somebody I couldn't even relate to, wasn't even somebody I could visualize in the future. I was very much, oh, I have my whole life ahead of me. I have so much time. I can't think about this right now. Now I'm in my mid-30s. I've got two small children. Um, now I'm like, oh, okay. So it's not just me anymore. Not only my retirement, but what kind of life am I building for my children? Um, what kind of uh, values am I passing down to them? It's my job to raise fully functioning humans that don't just survive, but thrive, right? And coming from a banking background, now that I've spent more time in banking, I realize there's so much financial illiteracy that's being passed down from generation to generation. And people just don't know how to handle their finances because it's not talked about around the dinner table. 
And not only that, what they do see their parents doing, those are most likely the habits that you're going to take on as you leave the nest, right? And take flight um, and start managing things on your own. And it almost becomes like the blind leading the blind. So seeing so many different walks of life and hearing so many different stories um, from all three provinces that I've worked in in finance. And I felt like, you know what? I'm really doing my kids a disservice by not getting my crap together and teaching them how to take control of their finances. And that starts with me. I have to do that now. I can't keep pretending that retirement is so far away because it's not. And it's just, and it's not just about retirement. It's about the quality of life now and the quality of life for my children. And how are they going to be able to take care of themselves when it's old and when they're old enough? Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think where you are in your life has a lot to do with how receptive you are to these big shifts because if we're honest with ourselves it really is a big shift it you have to realign your values and your priorities and kind of decide you know what what are the things that bring value to my life yeah it's not new cars it's not starbucks every morning on the way to work it's probably time yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) um so after stumbling onto Mr. Money Mustache and, and realizing this was it for you, like this is the right path for you. What was the very first thing you did to get yourself ready? Very first thing. I think it all started with maybe some self-assessment and having a look at, okay, what what is the situation that I live in right now? You know, how much money am I making? How much am I saving? And it was doing a lot of sort of a deep dive on yourself and and your life. And my other one of my other favorite, not it was a bit later on, but it was also an aha was uh, "Your Money or Your Life" by Vicky Robin. So it was, how much are we spending on water? How much are we spending on electricity? How much are we spending on insurance? It was it was very much a let's figure out where the wastage is where we're just burning extra money and where we can get that put to work. And it, it kind of, like you said, it's a fire hydrant of information at the beginning. Cause you realize that unless you've been intentional, there's a lot of places where you're hemorrhaging some cash that you can stop that flow and redirect it. So, you know, the very first thing for me was just sort of to stop and take a look and go, okay, at that time I did have some money in, uh, Tangri mutual funds. Was that the best thing? Was that where they were supposed to be? What, did I have a plan? You know, so I think it sounds like I did a lot of things at once, but really it was just kind of stop right. and assess where you're at and don't get overwhelmed that there's a hundred different things that you want to do. Just take it step by step, right? So the first thing I did would be okay, bank accounts. No fees, done. Okay, check, move on. You know, are we optimizing at home, house insurance, car insurance? Get some of those basic low hanging fruit out of the way and then gradually get more complicated. One of the things I like to say on the podcast to everybody is that, you know, you don't have to get everything right and perfect day one. You know, it's an evolving journey. So as time goes on and you have more time to digest the information, you'll realize that things change, right? It's the very first thing is you wanting to do it and thinking about why you're doing it. Yes, I can totally relate to that because when I got all fired up, 
um, I immediately got overwhelmed and intimidated because it went down, yeah. um, started with budgeting and then finding myself down the rabbit hole about, you know, dividend and index index investing in ETFs and like how to balance your portfolio. And I'm yeah. like, oh <laughs> too, much. <laughs> too much, too much, too much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Track your spending, just track, stop, see where you're at and start tracking from then on, be more mindful from then on. Right. Even if you don't make that change today, no. Once you start tracking and and having a look at yourself and your your finances and your life, like it's it this is this is more than just a money journey, right? It's a psychological journey too, right? So the sooner you can combine the psychology part of it and the money part together, that's where you start feeling the the freedom and the happiness and the rewards because the rewards start at the beginning. You don't have to wait for them. I love how you say psychological because it's so true. Because I feel like for so many people. Um, they're so emotionally attached to money and their self-worth. Like they feel like, like my worth as a person depends on the size of the house that I have, like the kind of car that I'm driving, the, the labels on my clothes. Like I'll know I've made it when my picture looks like so-and-so's picture, right? Yeah. And you kind of have to deconstruct that and peel back the layers and say, okay, well, are all those things worth working 40, 50, 60 plus hours a week just to maintain. And then when an emergency comes along, you're hooped. Yep. Like the sad statistic is, is that about half of Canadians are $200 away from bankruptcy. And that has to be wrapped up with our emotional attachment and psychological attachment to what money and status represents as us as, as people, right? So it was... For me, like I've already kind of been on this path. My husband and I have been through some traumatic financial curveballs that we're trying to rebuild and learn from. And I had already had a perspective shift, but the problem was getting my husband on board. It's right? a common problem for sure. The spouse, yeah. yeah, getting the spouse on board. And and it's it's tough because even though you're a couple, you have slightly different whys, slightly different reasoning, right? So it's finding that common path and working together on it. And I, I totally agree with what you said about you know the societal pressures that we that we're all victim of. And I'll be the first one to admit that my 20s was not a great decade for me financially because I still wanted a better car. I mean, geez, I always had old cars, but I wanted a better car. And, you know, you wanted things. You were still, there was so much pressure from your, you know, your social circle, social media, even though maybe back then, no, there was no social media back then, <laughs> not for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the pressures. And, and then, you know what? I also felt it from previous generations in my family too, because, you know, my grandparents would have been sort of, you know, their, their adult lives were in through the 60s and early 70s. And my parents were sort of born in, into the 50s. And that was a huge financial shift in quote unquote Western world where there was this steady increase in lifestyle over that time. And it became kind of like that was what you did was improve your lifestyle by getting more stuff because that's what they did. And that's what got passed on. And this is this doesn't mean anything about who they were as people because they were lovely people, but they were caught up in that get more stuff thing and it got passed on to me. And growing up as frugally as I did, I kind of I think I kind of got lucky in not 
being able to have everything that you wanted. We, we had to delay gratification because there was no money. So, but I think for a lot of people that I grew up with in my age group is their families were visibly, they looked wealthy and they spent money like they were wealthy. And exactly to your point is finding, you know, the fire journey is, is shifting that kind of mindset that your money represents time and freedom. And the really nicest part about the whole fire journey is now there's this growing community of people that are like-minded. So if you switch off the consumer culture and, and you want to, to leave that aside, there's all these people that are now interested in financial independence and fire that you can now bond with and have productive conversations about living a good life and happiness and, and all the important things that come with the financial independence. And that's what I love about fire is that when I stumbled onto it, I it was like the curtain was pulled back, pulled back on this whole world, this whole subculture of people who were on this journey together, but in their own shoes, on their own paths. Yep. Um, but there was that social cohesion. And I think <clears throat> of all of the financial subcultures I'm, I've fallen into, because I'm a part of a few, uh, the fire community is absolutely the most um, compassionate and supportive, positive and uplifting financial community I've come across. Um, so when I started reading these blogs and reaching out to these bloggers, it felt natural. It felt like somebody was saying, Oh, yes, nice to meet you. Come to the table here, take a seat. And like somebody metaphorically pulling out the chair for me so that I could sit down. Yep. Um, it was a, it was a wonderful feeling. And I think, Whenever you're going through any kind of major shift, whether it's financial or otherwise in your life, um, a lot of times we feel like, okay, maybe we're lacking discipline or maybe we're lacking talent or we're lacking skill. But what we're really lacking is community because we're such social creatures totally. that you need your people to come around you to keep you, to help you and to keep you going on the right path, right? Absolutely. Yep. Definitely agree with that. So yeah, um, when it came to kind of assessing all the different ways that you were hemorrhaging money, um, how did you kind of like nail down a budget? What was what was your methodology? Because for me, that's where I get tripped up. I'm really good at looking at the numbers and seeing like, yeah, we're spending too much here, we're spending too much there. But then I have a hard time of setting a hard and fast budget of like what makes sense because we keep like whenever I set a budget, we keep blowing it. Um, we keep going over and I'm like, well, what's realistic for our money then? Like, what is a realistic percentage of income to spend on eating out? What's a realistic percentage of income to spend on trips or car insurance or rent? So if you don't mind, is there, how did you break that down for yourself? Personal finance is personal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm just throwing that out there because this is, it's a great question. It's a super difficult question. And so just to sort of uh, a little bit of back story on, on where we were sort of when we started this journey was that uh, we're, we're two incomes with no kids. And at that time, 2013, it was just before we bought our house. So most money was sort of eyed up for that. But fast forward a year or so, and then it's kind of like we were a little bit more stabilized with finances. The two of us, basically it started with my partner and my wife and I, aligning our finances and our vision and completely combining everything so that both paychecks just showed up in one account. That helped me because I do the tracking. That helps right off the bat because now I've got one lump sum pool 
And then from that pool, we could move our TFSA savings each month to our individual ones. Uh, we could have the discussion of how much money should go to an RSP and who should be using that money. So this is sort of, I'm trying to get like the big picture to answer your question here. So we would we'd create this one pool where everything went into and then it would go out. And part of the journey where I said you need to stop and assess where you're at is kind of is is not necessarily budgeting, but just doing like a liability sheet. It's like okay, uh, property taxes this much, vehicle insurance is this much. You know, our cell phones, all the things that cost you every month. Figure that out, right? Because that's you don't have a question. You have to pay all that. So that's not really budgeting. Those are just your fixed expenses. So. Yeah, the left it's the leftovers right it's, you're supposed to you know pay all your expenses pay yourself max your savings out and and then you enjoy what you have left over so to your question is how did i budget that money left over well quite honestly i'm terrible at budgeting and my mum forever tried to get me to make a budget and i was the <laughs> most resistant kid at ever making a budget <laughs> but i think for us is we've always kind of uh, that that kind of leftover is we just kind of keep an eye on it. You know, we track our spending and, and it's kind of like, do you really need that this month or do you really want that? I, I think it's a really hard thing for all of us to do, but it, it comes down to that. Do I need it? Do I want it? Like wants and needs are totally different. And if you can sort of understand that, I I feel the budget mentality is a little constrained but yet I do talk to a lot of people that use like YNAB, you need a budget or things like that. And they love it because it structures them and it helps them. Or hard bacon. <laughs> or hard bacon. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> of course. Of course. Hard bacon. <laughs> this is not a sponsored episode, by the way, for all the <laughs> listeners. Uh, I'm doing this of my own free will. So for me, the budget doesn't work, but the tracking does. Right. So that way it gives you a little bit more freedom obviously you're not living beyond your means. So if you're like, oh, this month, you know what? We spent $150 eating out. That's a bit too much. Let's think about that next month. And like through this pandemic, we haven't been able to go anywhere. So we've been conscious about supporting local and, and eating out on purpose, but we're like, let's just do it once every two weeks. Right. And it's just kind of making those little choices and I don't want to say discipline because people get upset when you're like, oh, it's all about discipline. It's, it's not really. And it's not, it, it's not about um, not having what you want. It's about thinking about it when you choose to, right? Being intentional, right? Being intentional, exactly. So I didn't really answer your question because I don't budget. So I don't have a straight answer for that. But it's, it's tracking your spending and it's being intentional about it. Really, that's what helped me was, is, you know, nowadays you've got things like hard bacon or everybody's bank account, you can just look at your statements so easily. You can track your expenses. You can export, well, I, I use TD, so you can export it right into a uh, Excel spreadsheet right from there, right? So it's right. there's no excuse for you not to be able to track these days. I think maybe that's where my own pitfall has been is thinking I need to have a, a budget. I need to have a hard cap spending limit on these different categories. And maybe that's the wrong approach Totally. Like my husband said the other day, he's like, Heidi, you just need to pay all of our bills 
and then throw a bunch into our savings account and then we'll just save on what's the rest. And I've been so resistant to that. And every time he says it, it gets me all riled up. I'm all angry. I'm like, no, <laughs> I need boundaries. I thrive in a world with structure. Right. I can't do that because then how do I know that I'm not saving enough? Like I need to know that I'm maximizing and spending as or saving as much as I possibly can yep. and then spend what's left over. And he's like, no, I think you're doing it wrong. And I'm like, I'm the CFO of the family. Please be quiet. <laughs> Uh, yes, the democracy of two usually ends up being a dictatorship. <laughs> yes, but you know, after listening to you, and uh, he's he's got a point. Maybe I'm boxing myself in, thinking that I need to have set spending caps, like no more than 150 a month on eating out, no more than this on gas, because we take aimless too many aimless drives in a month. Listening to podcasts, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, don't spend more than this on Starbucks, but. I think I like your approach better. I, th I think the tracking works a little bit better because the tracking forces you to be honest with what you're actually spending. Whereas the budget, like you said, it, it gives you structure, but it gives you constraints that may not work every month. So if you get frustrated month to month and like, oh my goodness, our travel budget was way over this month because we went camping twice, then you're, to me, is like you're constantly trying to predict what the next month is going to be and, and cater your budget to what you think you're going to spend. Whereas if you, like you said, I totally on board with save first, pay your expenses first, get everything else done and live off the rest. It's that rest that you're not sure about. Right. But if your rest is represents 20% of your income, whatever it wants to represent, right? right? Then you go, well, this month we spent more here, this month we spent more there. That's okay. We're tracking it. We're watching it. That way you'll know when something is becoming a prolonged expense or habit that you're like, okay, maybe we don't need to spend that money on that every month because we're spending quite a bit. And to me, it's just, it's the tracking. I'm I'm advocate of tracking for sure. And I feel like the fire movement tracks so well with like the shift in society we're having right now with just mindfulness, mm -hmm. being mindful of everything, um, including your finances. So for that's sure. what I've, I, and you guys really are really good at bringing that to the FI garage of just, you know, and what you just said, just slow down, just track everything, be, be mindful of where it's going, but don't box yourself in because I feel like that's the quickest way to get into a defeatist mindset, which might derail your, your fire journey where you feel like, oh, this is too hard. It's not for me. Totally. And that's where people like a 70% savings rate is fantastic. And if people can achieve that, then I congratulate them. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I like to live the balanced lifestyle that we live. And that is not about, it's about frugality, but it doesn't mean that my life is, I'm depriving myself right. of things yeah. that bring joy. I don't want to deprive myself. But again, we keep coming back to the same thing as we want to be intentional about. It. So if you start with your savings rate, as, as much as you can squeeze out of your monthly income, and you realize that your life is now not, you're not as happy, you're miserable because you're not getting to drive that extra two kilometers to get to the beach or the trail to go hiking with your kids or your husband or your dog or whatever, because MMM says you need to ride your bike anywhere. And that's terrible for the environment to drive those two kilometers five times a week. And then you go, okay, that's a little bit of gas cost. It's a little bit of wear and tear on the car, but you know what? I need to do that because it's for my sanity and my enjoyment. And so it's, it's that balance, like start with a super aggressive savings rate, 
But then find that spot where you live comfortably below your means on the money left over, yet you're being saving and investing as aggressively as possible that works for you, right? And that's where that's why I started with personal finance and personal, right? Everyone's got to find that little, that magic spot. Yeah, great answer. Um, so to that, as far into your FIRE journey as you are now, to date, what has been one of your favorite um, and most creative money-saving hacks or discovery so far? You know, you sent me a huge list of questions. I'm sorry. No, no, it's great. It's awesome because it made me literally kind of go a little introspective here. And and this question, I actually left blank until today. Can you believe that? Because (laughs) this is one of those questions that I'm thinking, what's every other blogger in Canada going to say to this, right? And there's so much out there. There is so much. And I'm not that good at this area, to be perfectly honest, because sure, you know, bank fees are optimized and insurance is optimized. And that's all that everyone will tell you all that stuff for me. And is like I mentioned at the beginning, because I'm a DIY type person, that this is my favorite money saving hack is, and again, this is a mindset thing because lots of people say, I can't change. Like I can't change a light socket in my house, or I can't change the oil on my, in my car. Or, I can't change the battery or, you know, it's a lot of that is fear of the unknown and not having any formal type training on that. So to be able to take that leap, but I'll go back to, you know, why Mr. Money Mustache spoke to me is he's, he was kind of about that empowerment is like, we're all intelligent people that have hands and we're privileged to live in the society we live in. And YouTube is a wealth of information now. Like there is a DIY on everything. And I'm not saying that you have to go over the top and start overhauling engines in your spare time. And I totally recognize that I have the privilege of having tools and a garage and, and previous training that does, it's, it's actually not a, my previous training is not applicable to household or vehicle. Right. Right. But I know I can save a lot of money if I do a lot of the jobs myself. And, and again, this comes back to that luxury of what FI is, right? It's about, you know, the time thing. Maybe you don't have time to DIY it, but then the question could be asked, well, maybe you need to find that balance where, you know, I get a lot of enjoyment out of doing the job myself because I've learned something new and I feel better off as a person for it. And I've probably saved money. Right. So like, I'll be the first one that goes down. We've got a, a it's called the restore here. It's like a used or a, it's like a thrift, thrift hardware store right? Which is sponsored by Habitat for Humanity. And it's awesome, right? Because it's like, if I need stuff around the house and, you know, you know, maybe you're a renter, so this doesn't apply to you. But even with vehicles, there's, there's just stuff that you can go in and save yourself some money on. And if you put that together back to back over time, that's when it makes a big difference, right? That's the money right. saving hack. It's not doing one thing and saving $5, but having to spend three hours doing it. Oh, for sure. It's getting better at doing things gradually over time and it empowers you so that when there's a challenge, you're like, you know what? I think I'll try that myself first. Or even if you can't do it yourself, I'm sure there's people in your community, your family, your network that's like, I mean, buddies are always asking me, right? It's like, oh, hey, can you give me a quick hand with this with my vehicle or this with my scooter or this? And it's like, sure, bring a six pack of beer. We'll spend some time together and I'll help you out do it, right? Like to me, that's a DIYing and and getting into that kind of mindset is is my money saving hack. 
I love that you brought up that second part because I was just thinking as you were talking, it's not just about, you know, accessing resources like YouTube and and blogs and how to DIY around the house. It's also about leveraging your social network. Totally. Like you have mechanics background. I'm sure you've had friends reach out and say, hey, can you come change my tail light and I'll buy you some beers and a pizza? Yeah. Like just trading those skills within your social network to help each other. Um, I think it's so important and just all comes back to community. Like you're not just taking your finances back into your own hands and taking control of that. It's really a whole life shift of taking control of everything in your life mm-hmm. and back down to like a grassroots communal way of helping each other out. Totally. Yeah. No, I've been, there's a, a quite a lot of places now have like the buy nothing communities online. I'm so into the buy nothing. Love it. And I've been, we've got a neighborhood group where I live now. And of course, the last year and a half has just thrown a wrench into everybody's plans. But as we work towards opening up again, I really want to be more active than that. And one of the things about this whole FI journey and Coast Buy for me is, is having a bit of time and, and wanting to help within the neighborhood. And I would love somebody to come and weed my garden. And if I have to do an oil change for them as an exchange yeah. for that, like, done, done. You come and do weeding, I will change your oil. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's that community buy nothing. Um, those are money saving hacks in the long run. Yeah. I've really tapped into the Facebook marketplace. So for example, um, because I've never done a podcast before I had no equipment. So my <laughs> husband is doing research and he's like, you know what? This headset's just not going to cut it. We need to get you a Yeti. You're going to get into podcasting. I'm like, whoa, slow down. Pump the brakes. <laughs> Let's see how this one podcast goes before we go blow $300 on a mic. Well, he, over the past week or so, had just on his own been selling stuff out of our garage that we don't use anymore. And he found a Yeti microphone, almost brand new, on Facebook group, the marketplace, and took the money he made from selling our garage junk and bought the discount mic. So it really cost us nothing. Nice. Yeah. And you've got a great voice. So you're a podcast natural. Might have to have you a regular segment on the show here. I would love that. (laughs) My husband would love that. He was so excited. He was pumping me up today. Oh, your podcast is in an hour. I'm so excited. I can't believe we're going to be on a podcast that we love and we listen to. (laughs) Well, you know, you bring up another great point there. And it would be, it's also one of my favorite money savings hacks is getting rid of the stuff. Like I, even now, okay. So in the last eight years, we've been intentional with our spending, but I'm like constantly, my wife just drives her crazy because I'm like taking pictures of stuff. And she's like, you're going to try and sell that. Aren't you? (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) yeah, it's been in the, like on the shelf for two years. It's like, that's, it just, there's a lot of things we, we all accumulate, whether we sort of mean to or not. And every once in a while, like I'll do it every couple months. It's just kind of like, what is sitting around taking up space that is clutter. And I'm not, I'm not OCD by any means, but I do like to be organized. So I'm like, that needs to go. And it's worth $40. So that 40 can go straight into quest trade and buy me some ETFs. And then it's doing something for me instead of sitting around looking at me going, why am I here? You know, so that's, that's another huge money saving hack, I think. Right. Like, and if the economist was here, he'd say you're turning that sunk cost into an investment, right? Exactly. It's going to bring money back to you in the future. Totally. That that thing is, uh, yeah, money that you've pretty much thrown in the garbage. So take it out, put a suit on it, send it off to work so it can make you money. Yep. Um. So further to that. So after you you got your budget drilled down, you were on a good savings roll. How did you get started into your DIY investing? Like, what was the first thing you did when you got yourself set up for your investing journey? 
Oh, again with these, what did I do first questions? These are hard ones, Heidi. <laughs> well, we're babies, right? So know, like we need you to teach, like we need you to spoon feed us <laughs> so that we can get started. First for me was I I was like everybody else. I really didn't know anything. As I mentioned, we did have accounts or I had an account at Tangerine, which was very simple back then because it was free. The management fee was a little high. I was... 1% or just over 1%? I think it was around 1%. But I'd been smart enough to start putting money in there. So it was good. But I came back and started looking at this. I'm like, what are these? Why am I in a balanced mutual fund when I'm 34? What does that even mean? Right. You know, because I was like, back then, it, <clears throat> scarcity mindset, right? Af- afraid to lose any money investing. So it's like, well, obviously I want to be balanced because every question that I or every questionnaire or know your client form, I answer says, are you afraid of losing money in the stock market? And I answer yes, every time. Yeah, Of course I am. I've been, I made it this far in life saving every one of these pennies. I don't want to lose it. You know, so that, that first thing that I had to do was education. And this is going to look different for, for everybody, but we are very lucky now to have the amount of blogs, podcasts, YouTubes, books, like just go back and get some books, right? Like there's so much info out there. I think it's the onus really is on the individual to educate yourself a little bit first. And this doesn't mean you need to become an incredible stock picker or know how to do valuations of stocks, things like that. It's more about understanding the mindset of why you need to be investing and and how it makes a difference over the long term. So for me, the first thing I did was I looked at those Tangerines accounts and I said, I can do better than this. I now understand that I'm not a balanced investor. I want to be an aggressive investor because I have a longer than 20-year timeline. So it was kind of going, okay, well, well, what do I do now then? Right. And I've been a customer at TD since like those little bank card books that you like got printed in every month. Like, yeah. yeah. And you know, so uh, being somewhat lazy, because let's, let's be fair. We're all a little bit lazy. I've never changed. So I switched to the TDE series funds. Okay. And with those, I could customize a little bit more of what my portfolio was. And still, this is early days. So I really had no idea, but I'd read enough you know, couch potato, all the rest of it, and knew that I needed some Canadian, some US, and some international. And for me, the easy step was, because I was already set up to bank there, was just simply putting that money, transferring into those basic investments, even though they're mutual funds, they're kind of half the fee I was paying. So I'd I'd improve my fees, I'd learn a bit more, and I'd diversified a bit. So that was kind of step one. And and just kind of accepting that that money was now untouchable for a long, long period of time, right? And it was just kind of going, okay, I'm going to make this move. And funnily enough that you asked what did I do first, because now I recognize that those changes that I made, they weren't irreversible. I could have changed to something else if, if I was wrong or if it didn't fit. But at the time, all those moves feel very intimidating Yes, because it's mm-hmm. like, I'm moving a significant sum of money because that's all I have. So it's a significant, even if it's only $8,000, I'm moving that into something that I don't know what's going to happen with it. 
But that's why I come back to the first thing has to be some education. And there's some great basic resources out there that get you over that hurdle of, of the fear of the unknown. So it was for me, the first thing was some education and then making, making a baby step move. Like, okay, I'm going to get this a little bit better. Right. And then later on, you know, I, I was like, okay, TD series funds. Yeah. I can do even better than that. So it, it, like I said, it's not, you don't have to be perfect and hundred percent right on the first day. It's, it's gradually moving yourself towards the ultimate optimization and ultimate investing. And you're going to learn what changes for you over time too. And you're going to be in an investment and go, yeah, this one just goes up and down way too much for me. I'm not comfortable with that. Then you, you get to know yourself, right? You don't know yourself in the, as an investor by answering a bunch of questions about a subject that you don't even know about. Like, how is that even possible? (laughs) So when you did that with the E-Series, was there like, was there a specific vehicle that TD offered? Like you do it within, within an RRSP or within a TFSA or kind of something standalone? Like what did it look, how did, how did you do that? Yeah. At the time, those accounts were, I have to, I have to think back now, those accounts were in, RRSP because I didn't know any better. Right. That was the same thing as I brought up before was your parents, your grandparents are like, you put money in RRSPs. That's what you do. That's mm-hmm. right. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, it was at the time we, we'd moved back to Canada in 2009, which was very fortuitous because that was the beginning of the TFSA. Right. So I'd been putting money in there, but this whole sort of the the financial part kind of happened a little bit before the beginning of the official fire journey, but it all kind of floats together around that time frame. But to your question, the it was in RRSPs, so it was a question of moving it from Tangerine to TD, which was was paperwork, right? Right, and I chose to go with the self directed trading account at TD, okay, so that I then I don't have to deal with any of their advisors or anything like that. It's it's hundred percent up to me. And I believe they even have, I, I don't want to get into products discussion here because I'm not definitely up on all the products, but you know, you'd have to look into what your institution is and what products they have available. But I went straight into the uh, uh, direct investing because I had my TFSA there already. And then it was about learning sort of what should be going where and, and why, why was I using an RRSP? Was my income high enough to justify it? Right. Or should I be trying to max out my TFSA first? So to your sort of, it moved from Tangerine to TD, it stayed within the RSP and kind of that's where it lived. And the TFSA is kind of another story because I really messed up there and tried to buy dividend stocks. Oh no. Okay. So let's talk about that. What has been your biggest investment mistake to date that you wish you could go back and change? Chasing yields. <laughs> I can relate. Chasing <laughs> yields, 100% without question. And it was it's funny you ask because I just had a, a long email conversation with Max, who is our editor on the Explore FI Canada podcast. And he's getting himself all organized with his portfolio. And we we're just kind of going back and forth about it. And he's interested in dividend stocks. And so a little summary of why this is my biggest mistake is when I started in that TFSA, it wasn't a lo- enough money going in there right to and of course the problem was too is at td so at that time they had nine dollar or ten dollar trading commission so i'd have to wait until i could buy what i considered a full position 
And if listeners aren't sure what a full position is, usually to me that represented how many stocks you need to own in order for the dividend to pay enough so that you drip another share each quarter or month or whatever. So, so you, you could be waiting quite a long time. Right. Sorry to interrupt you just for a second. Yeah. So by drip, do you mean dividend reinvestment so that your dividends pay to buy another whole stock? That's correct. Yes. Yeah, no, no problem. Uh, please stop me to clarify anything because I tend to get carried away and assume <laughs> everybody understands everything. We've been guilty of that on the show before. Um, so, yeah. So what happens though is because that usually takes quite a few shares. And if you look at a, a bank stock that's worth $60, you're like, whoa, there's no way I can afford to put $12,000 into this to drip a share. So then you start looking at things that are under $10 a share because you can go, well, I can buy you know, 100 of those and it's going to drip me a stock every month. So I had blinders on. I was looking at yield right. and I was looking at dripping. And when I say yield, I mean the percentage the dividend was going to be, right? Because you'd rub your hands together. And you'd be like, oh, six and a half percent. That's fantastic but uneducated in how the stock market worked because okay. I've got stocks still sitting in that T of SA that I bought at, let's just use a number like $10 with a great yield on them. But now either the dividend's been cut or now the stock's only worth $5. So I've lost half my money on paper. Right. And the dividend's kind of irrelevant now because it has to more than double to get back to where I was originally. So my biggest failure was definitely chasing dividends at the beginning and not understanding that like total return for your investments is the most important thing. And especially at the beginning of the journey, when you don't have large sums of money, you're just sort of putting in your monthly every month. This is my opinion, but at the beginning, that should just be put put in a global all around cheap free to buy ETF. And as you build your portfolio, You'll, you'll have more money to use, but you'll also have more confidence because you'll learn more, you'll see what your portfolio does, and you'll get to a point where you're like, you know what? I've got enough money in there now. I do want to own TD stocks because you know what? I pay TD banking fees. Well, hopefully you don't, but okay, let me rephrase that. You want to own TELUS stocks because, hey, I pay a phone bill every month. So if I own them, they're paying me a dividend. Eventually, I'm going to get a free phone. Right on. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the way I look at dividend investing, but I didn't at the beginning because I didn't have enough money right. to, to lump some into those bigger positions. So what you tend to do is look for cheap ones that are high yield and you get into a yield trap where you're going to end up losing more money than you're going to make back in your dividends. So long way around getting to that, <laughs> chasing yield. <laughs> Uh, I can relate because my first time ever investing beyond my children's RESP was dabbling in the crypto market. Oh, crypto. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. That's... Not just not just Bitcoin, not the big guy, but like the really like obscure ones and trying uh-huh. to trade in and out and make a quick buck. And I had never invested before. And I figured out that I am loss averse. I am risk averse. So <laughs> this is not this is not a game for me. Exactly. <laughs> cut and run. <laughs> well, we talked about that not that long ago in, in one of the FI Garage podcasts where it's like the pain of loss hurts twice as much as the thrill of winning, right? So you're like, oh, 
this hurts way more when I lose the money than when I double my money, you know? So. <laughs> oh, it's so true. I've just read a book. I forget the author's name. I should know because he's an economist I look up to, but the book is misbehaving and it's talking about the psychology of money and investing and how it affects your emotions. And just what you said, losing even a little bit hurts twice as much as if you gained double that. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And that was me. Like that was, I was on a roller coaster of a, an extremely volatile market that was absolutely nauseating so <laughs> definitely like i'm still in crypto but i've definitely changed my uh my strategy where i'm not like i'm not trying to day trade or swing trade anymore i'm just buying and holding that's it that's all i've done i'm like i can't do this yeah well that's fair <laughs> and i not for the faint of heart yeah and i i don't want to get into the crypto discussion because it's it's a personal thing and and oh, i've oh, for sure. made my position clear on that on the podcast before and it's if you want to have a tiny little bit in there and hold it, then I don't see anything wrong with that. But yeah, we all we can all get caught up in speculative and you know the the rocket in the eyes, woo to the moon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a it's quite an interesting space and a very interesting community. Yeah. Um, having said that, having covered your biggest mistake, um, what has been one of your one of your investing moves or achievements or a skill that you mastered in investing that you're most proud of? Not giving a shit. <laughs> Just like close the portfolio, walk away. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's I I think that really is the thing that you need to be able to master. It's being able to check yourself. Right. And for the people that are new to this, you're gonna see some swings in your portfolio that kind of gut check you, right? Yeah. Well, Believe me, when you've been doing this for long enough and compounding is starting to have an effect and you've got a lot of money stacked up in there, those are some big swings like we saw in 2020. And it's you just need to be able to put that aside and walk away and go, this is long-term. Mm-hmm. This the, the short-term is market noise. The long-term, I believe in the trajectory we've had in the markets. So I think that's my biggest success because it's not a mathematical thing. Right. I try not to get caught up in the math too much. I definitely look at my portfolio way too often, but part of that is then developing the, the will and the strength and the ability to recognize it for what it is and, and kind of just go, that's fine. I can go about my day and, and not think about it and not interrupt my sleep. You know, that's, it's an education thing and, I, like you said, we're all risk averse, mm-hmm. but it's training yourself to recognize it. Yeah, you got to desensitize yourself to like those short term, like you said, market noise. And I think it really all ties back to our emotional attachment to money and especially in investing. Doesn't matter how risk averse you are and how modest your risk exposure is, you still have to desensitize yourself to the fact that there are going to be fluctuations. Absolutely. And one of the things that happens along this journey is you start to shift from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. And that that's not necessarily related to how much you have, but it's a little bit of how much you don't care, right? You realize that money isn't a function of your happiness. Your time is the function of your happiness. So this, you're, I consider myself successful in the sense that I know that there's 
more money out there, depending on how much I want to do to get it, and that I'm helping build a base that's going to compound. And compounding is just such an important thing for people to understand. So the sooner you can get this started, the better off you're going to be, right? And then you kind of get to this point where the stressors of not having enough money start to fade away. And the opportunities to make money in creative ways or your own pursuits start appearing because you're, you've kind of allowed yourself to be more open to that. And yeah, I guess I'm just babbling now about that's what I consider to be the uh, success. <laughs> or Well, no, it, it, it all relates. It all comes back because right now most Canadians are just surviving. Mm-hmm. They're paycheck to paycheck. They're just surviving. And when you're surviving, there isn't the free time to to invest in like yourself, to find out what brings you joy, what are your passions, to pursue creativities. Like we've seen that in human evolution, right? As we've advanced technologically and industrially, now we've had more time and we've seen prolification in art and music and all and humanities and all kinds of things. And it really, that's still present today um, for individual people. If you're just making it from paycheck to paycheck and you are literally losing sleep at night, wondering how you're going to pay your daycare bill, or you don't have enough money for groceries for that week, or, you know, the bumper just fell off your car and you need your car to get to work. Where's the freedom? Where's the independence and the free time to be able to put yourself into the things that really bring you joy? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that is one of the struggles, right? Is, is getting, getting a little bit ahead of yourself. Right. And one of the things I think we're all really, really bad at is, predicting future you yep. or understanding what future you is going to be like or, or what future you is going to want because we are wrapped up in ourselves today. But the better you can get at forecasting what one year, five years, 10 years might look like or what you might want to do out then, then you're more likely to be the person that plans for those things and starts this journey and saving and working towards retirement. I think it's just that is it's having a little bit of a look about what is future you going to look like, right? Yeah. And I'm definitely not good at this because this is not just about your financial journey. It's about your health too. And it's about family and it's about so many things, right? And so I think we're just bad at predicting future selves. Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. Like I said, in my twenties, I wasn't even thinking about what I was going to do next week, let alone five, 10, 15 years from now. And definitely not in my 60s or 70s, um, working at retirement, I think my work in banking, um, seeing every different kind of bank account you can think of, every different kind of credit file you can think of and getting to know my clients and just being active in my social circle, like with my own family and my parents and asking questions of, of people of different stages of life to figure out, okay, I need to learn from the people around me to figure out what I want and what I want my future to look like. Do I want my future to look like this person who um, did everything right and is still struggling because they just didn't know any better? And like you said earlier, you don't know what you don't know. You can't ask specific questions in a field that you're brand new to that you just don't know anything about. Living in a multi-generational home has definitely helped because I see my parents in their retirement and that's definitely um, helped me visualize myself at that point in my life. Uh, but it's all about like stepping outside of your your box and looking at other people's situations and just kind of take a little bit from here and a little bit from there and 
paint a picture for yourself, but it's so hard to do when we're all so self-centered, um, right? <laughs> By yeah. nature. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, it, it's a shift and it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, for me, it's been definitely several years in the making and same for you. So sorry, I feel like we're having the most amazing discussion and I'm forgetting all the questions I want to ask. No, go ahead. Let's uh, keep on going. When you started, were you carrying uh, any kind of consumer debt? Um, how much and how was it impacting your lifestyle at that point? So as far as, no, short answer. Uh, but I had spent basically since I was... 18. No, maybe it was even before 18. It was probably 16 because I borrowed money from my grandmother for a car. So I'd probably been in debt with consumer and then also student loan debt up until the time I was 29. But we had the opportunity to work overseas and I had some savings, but I had debt and I made the decision. I said, if I'm leaving Canada for a period of time, I'm taking all the savings and I'm paying off all this debt. Right. But I basically, as I described earlier, was the 20s were the paycheck to paycheck, credit card bills every month, you know, just going like, oh, I've got to at least try and put $100 on the credit card this month because it's, it's adding up and adding up. And yeah, I definitely experienced that struggle and, and the weight of that, that debt bears upon you. And it was a freeing feeling to pay it all off, which in a way is a little ironic because if I probably started investing in my 20s with that savings, I would have been far better off, but <laughs> it was the most freeing and empowering feeling to finally crush that debt. And it, it gave me a clean break. And because we left Canada, I was very fortunate to be able to do that. But coming back, I started fresh with with from not in a debt perspective. So it was about getting intentional, getting things moving in the right direction, and, and then just kind of keeping it, keeping away from it, right? And this is where we brought up a little bit is, is the delayed gratification thing. A lot, a lot of times your consumer debt will come from, yeah, we are totally guilty of it. When we bought a house, we're like, oh, well, now we got to furnish a couple more rooms, right? Yeah. So the credit card comes out because that's what you have. Um, one of the things about that is I, I advocate for using credit cards, but really you got to pay them off every month, right? Or at least have a, a pay down plan. Like I get it. It's like, we need to have this today, but you got to have an aggressive plan to pay it off because debt is just such a burden and such a wealth killer. Oh, for sure. Um, sorry if this is too personal a question, but your, did your decision, did your debt that you were carrying at the time play a role in why you chose to pursue that job overseas? No, actually, it was completely independent because it was my wife that had the opportunity to leave Canada. So I kind of oh, was just right like, on. I scrambled. I'm like, oh, well, I'm going too. <laughs> we, were, we were married at the time, right? But I'm like, I'm going too. Of course I'm going too. <laughs> yeah. So no, it just, uh, it wasn't actually my decision to leave at all. It was just fortuitous for me to, to be able to go and do it. Uh, but yeah, you know, and the nice thing too is when we did live abroad is we lived a cash lifestyle with with no debt and we had no credit when we were away either right so no debt no credit and that and it was a very expensive cost of living so i think that helped us really sort of focus and get ready for the future fire journey once we were back in canada and in our full-time careers right on so you had just mentioned that that all that money that you had taken from savings to pay off your credit cards before you moved 
had you invested that, you would have been so much further ahead. If you could go back, would you have done that differently? You know, this is this is what we talk about future you, right? Today, yeah. when you ask me that question, I say yes, one hundred percent. I go back and do that differently. But you ask twenty-two-year-old money mechanic, and there's no way he's buying car parts for sure. He's buying car parts and just sticking it in a savings account because he didn't have the mindset back then. He didn't have the education back then, and he didn't have the circle of people to give him positive influence for his right, money. The community. Yeah. yeah. So you know, today, one hundred percent, I go back and change it. But honestly. If I could just go back in time, it wouldn't have changed anything, right? I didn't have the right influence like there is now all the content to, to kind of get fired up about this. Right. But you didn't do the wrong thing. I mean, there was a good choice and a better choice. Yeah. I still feel like paying off that credit card debt, you did the best you could with the information you had available to you at the time. And to me, I feel like that was still a smart move. Yeah. Well, that definitely comes from my upbringing, right? right. You know. I grew up with a single mom. We'd never had very much money. Everything was about being debt averse. Debt was bad because we had debts as a family, you know, my, and it was just, it would, I could feel the stress and the life energy. It sucked out of you to have debt. And, and I, I felt that, you know, the transition from you know, going to school and going to trade school and then trying to get into the workforce, we all know it's, you're not making lots of money at the beginning and life costs money because your buddies want to go on a camping trip or this and that. And you're, you, it's just your outflow exceeds your inflow. You live beyond your means, but the sooner you can realize that the better off you are. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, ah, it's just one of those things. Sometimes you just got to live, but there needs to be checks and balances. Oh, for sure. So are you using credit products today to enhance your fire journey? And if so, what are you using and how are you leveraging them? Ooh, complicated topic. <laughs> is this, this is like part two. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I, okay, well, first of all, let's just say, finish up the credit card discussions we had there is yes, I use a bunch of different credit cards to harvest the points rewards off them. So Yes, I'm using a credit product in that sense. I'm using it to my advantage. Right. Uh, I don't do travel points anymore because I don't travel. <laughs> None of us travel anymore. But, <laughs> right. but I really like that's another money-saving hack too, is if you can stack discounts by using credit cards, then you can achieve higher discounts on the products you're buying, right? But again, the caveat is 100% paid off every month. So that's one credit product I guess you could say I'm kind of using. But I think really what you're asking is, am I leveraging to invest or, or leveraging to speed up the journey? And yes and no. This took a long time to get to. And I think one of the things I want to stress about any kind of leveraged investing is it's advanced. Mm-hmm. People probably shouldn't be considering this day one. There are some really interesting academic reads, a book called Life Cycle Investing. I won't go into it, but it's a really interesting topic where it says you should lever up as much as you can when you're young and deleverage as you get older because that's actually a better risk profile. But for me, my particular journey is we've been paying, so it won't even get into the mortgage discussion, but we've been paying down the house and we now have a HELOC. So the discussion in the last couple of years was, hey, we're, we're getting more educated on alternative investments now that we can use our leverage for to generate outsized returns versus the interest that we have to pay. And this can really help our cash flow, which 
uh, our point now is it's cash flow that helps me to slow down my working schedule. So we're using straight leverage. We're borrowing the money and we're investing it, not in stock market products, but in real estate related products. We also, and I'm careful how I say this because I'm a huge advocate of the Smith maneuver, but I'm very careful how I phrase this because a lot of people equate that with a leveraged investment strategy. And truly it's not, it's a debt conversion strategy, but we do every once in a while when we make a mortgage payment, we'll pull some of that principal back and we'll put it into an ETF investment. So it's technically the Smith maneuver, which is a form of using good debt to invest, but the majority of it is straight leverage that we've put into real estate products. Um, What is the biggest mistake you think people are making in their fire journey right now, especially if you're new? (laughs) The biggest mistake I think is just getting too hardcore too soon. Right. Right. You brought it up before is if you get, you know, if you get overwhelmed, if you get frustrated, you may, you know, leave, leave the journey. Right. So I see I'm very active on the Choose FI Canada Facebook page, where we have a ton of new members all the time, which is fantastic. But you know, you can relate to this is the, oh, the, oh, wow, I want to do everything. Yeah. And, and I think people get really caught up in some of the minutiae that is important down the road, but not at the beginning. I, I've, I can count so many questions and comments about, withholding tax and what account should I have this in and what account should I have that in and what about U.S. stocks and and this and that. And it's like, those are good considerations when they're going to move the needle, right? Don't get wrapped up in things that are, you know, point or 15% of a dividend of a thousand dollars annually. It's like, just work half an hour of overtime and you're going to pay for that for five years. Right. Or whatever, right? It's like, don't get caught up in the details at the beginning, make the big changes. And as you learn and grow, and, and it's going to get easier for you on that journey too, because you're going to just going to learn more, right? You can be like, oh, you know what? I shouldn't have that sitting in my Canadian TFSA. That should be in my US RRSP. Maybe I'll buy a US listed ETF. And again, we're, I'm throwing some words out that some listeners may not understand, but it's don't get too wrapped up at the beginning. Just get started. Keep it simple. As you gain confidence, then you can expand and dive into these like really, really subtle optimizations. Right on. What's the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself on this journey? That I'm pretty bad at spreadsheeting. (laughs) (laughs) The accountant will love to hear that because I butchered his spreadsheet a few weeks ago. No, actually, I'm, I'm getting better at spreadsheeting. But I think the thing that I've learned the most is... I always loved solving problems. And for me, that was always in a mechanical type sense, fixing something, taking something apart, figuring it out. I just didn't realize how much I was going to love personal finance and investing and, and the financial journey of what FI is all about, right? And it's the people, like you said, it's having this conversation with you. Uh, I've done other types of like little mini sort of coaching with people and I'm fulfilled because I'm troubleshooting and, and fixing things, but it's in a, it's in a sort of financial sense. So I just didn't, I didn't see myself as, the, as that type of person before yeah. where I've definitely grown into this role and I, I, just, I just so enjoy it. 
And has this journey changed um, how you relate to the people in your life? Has it changed your relationships with your friends and your family? I've definitely found that a lot of people are are much more open to have discussions uh, around you know money and finance. It's been taboo. It's it was never really talked about that much when I was growing up. And you know, having two good friends that I podcast with, we chat about it all the time. But the circle continues to grow within our friends and family because having this discussion isn't about you know being better or worse off or anything like that. And and I think there's there's just no shame in having the discussion. It's it's healthy, right? To just to just you know kind of share where you're at. And one of the things that I think is really important is having a little bit of an accountability partner, whether it's just a friend that you can chat with, or a cousin, or your sibling, or whoever it is that you can kind of just go, "Hey, I'm thinking this, or I'm feeling this," and, and just getting a little bit of help. And and maybe that's even a total stranger in the community because sometimes it's way easier for us to open up to strangers than it is to people that we have connection with. Yeah. You know, so maybe it's just someone from a, an online group or whatever. And you're like, Hey, do you mind if we just kind of email back and forth? And it happens a lot. There's just so many great people, you know? So I think if you're open to it, it the community grows and the discussion grows with within your family and your friends. So further to that, that accountability partner, someone that, you know, if you're struggling, you can go to, was there a point in your fire journey where you felt like, oh, like I'm really struggling with this or this is really hard or, you know, maybe this isn't right for me? Did you ever have a point like that or a, like an obstacle that you were having a hard time getting past? Yeah, it's called the FI doldrums. Oh, what? <laughs> you never, well, you know what the doldrums are, right? No. Okay, so quick sailing lesson. There's places where the ocean winds are very calm and it's called the doldrums. It's hard to sail through them, right? So the FI doldrums are that point where the beginning part of your journey is super fast and exciting and lots of changes and super motivating and and that's excellent, right? And and then two, three, four years in, you're kind of like, what do I do next? And I don't describe it as a give up problem or give up issue. It's more of like, how do I stay interested? How do I stay motivated? How do I stay focused on that, that end game? Right. Right. And that's where I felt myself get into. And I think that's where, you know, when you kind of feel that on your fire journey, I think that's when, you know, you need to start making the changes to live the life that you want to live today. Right. Right. So you'll get to the point where you go, okay, fire's awesome, but now it's boring. Why do you feel that way? Why do you feel that this awesome thing is now boring? It's because you've, you've done all the hard work. And now, it's, now it just takes time to get to that final goal. And instead of just waiting for that final goal, or like a lot of people do, they just keep like trying to crush and move forward and crush and move forward. That was for me, like, I don't want to just like keep crushing. I, I want to give up the rat race. That's what I want to give up. I don't want to give up the fire journey. So, so how do I pivot? What is, what, is, what is it that I'm missing here? How do I get out of the doldrums, the yeah. slog? You know, and it's finding some focus. It's finding little projects that keep you engaged. It's finding that, that next step that kind of push you over, right? Like I would say like the fire journey is like a fast uphill and then you kind of plateau. <laughs> and you're like, okay, yeah. well, you don't want to fall off the plateau and give up. Right. But how you kind of find that next little sort of push to keep yourself entertained and, and engaged, right? So I think for me, it's never been about giving up. It's about 
oh, I'm feeling stagnant. How do I keep moving forward? And of course, the t- typical story of that is like Christy said, well, I started a blog. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, yeah. And hers is fantastic. I love it. But it's very much like it, it's a relationship with money. And now the honeymoon phase has worn right. off. You haven't lost the spark. You haven't fallen out of love, but you're in that comfortable stage now, yeah. right? Which Complacency. Is, is the, honestly my favorite part is feeling totally comfortable, safe, and secure. I don't necessarily need spark plugs, but yeah, finding something that yeah that motivates you keeps you going a new passion maybe maybe niche down a little bit more on your journey like it doesn't have to be guns blazing the whole entire time exactly exhausting that would be exhausting it is exhausting and like you said that's what makes you want to give up like if you're trying to achieve a 70 percent savings rate and you're completely denying yourself of any of the pleasures that you had in life and you see this as like a, a win or like a win or no win situation then that's you know that's going to make you want to give up. It, it's finding balance and it, it's getting through the okay. I've done everything, but I'm still happy and I can work towards other things. Yeah, and isn't that the point of the fire journey? Is to get to that point where you have freedom, independence, totally. and peace. You have peace in your life. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Well, I uh, cannot wait to get started. And you guys have been an absolute pivotal tool in us getting started on our fire journey. Listening to your podcast with my husband has um, opened some very important conversations, kind of broken down his walls to like, nope, we already don't spend, I can't be any more frugal than we already are. I don't want to hear about it. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it started a fire in him too. It took a couple of weeks, but now he's super excited and we're having different conversations, not just about our money, but what our values are as people and as spouses and as parents and what we want our family to look like, our family dynamic and what we want our lives to look like. So I want to thank you so much. Your podcast has really opened up that dialogue between my husband and I to reevaluate what our priorities are and what our values are um, to start to put together a game plan to get our fire journey started. That is such an amazing compliment. Thank you so much, Heidi, for saying that. That touches my heart. (laughs) And I think one of the things that people don't realize about the FIRE journey is that it's more introspective than you think. Yeah. It's not a money journey. It's really, it's a, it's a me journey or it's, it's a us journey with your spouse. It's way more than just going, all right, let's just start investing. And the more you kind of learn about it, the more you see how, how deep and, and rich, rich that it is, right? Because it, it will enrich your life from day one. Yeah. It's just about finding and identifying why. What is your why? And what does your journey look like? Because every single one of us is on a different one. Yeah. I feel like what I've really gotten from your podcast is like, you guys do get into the nitty gritty and the technicals and the numbers, but there's very much an air of... Money isn't what brings you happiness. It's about how to use money. It is a resource to build the kind of life that you that you value, um, and that gives you a sense of worth. and And for my husband, we both come from very different socioeconomic backgrounds, to very different styles of family. He's a spender. I'm a saver. So you know, a spender and a saver can fall in love, but how do they build their nest egg? So it's really opened up those conversations about, okay, it's not about the money. It's not about the stuff. Like, what do we want? Where do we get our happiness? Where can we find that middle ground? How can we meet his needs 
and mine in a way that keeps the boat moving forward. That's right. Moving forward together in the same direction. Yeah, exactly. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. I've talked far more than I've ever talked on my own podcast before, <laughs> but it's been fun. It's been fun to hand it off to you and, and get some of those questions out. And as I've said before on the show, we're always happy to answer listener questions and responses. And as you are finding, as you go through these interviews within the fire community in Canada, it's a lovely bunch of people that are super helpful and super intelligent. And please ask them the hard questions because it's good to have a challenge sometimes. Cause it's, this is the other thing too, is this, it's what helps me learn when somebody asks me a question, I'm like, huh, that's a good one. I haven't really put a lot of thought into that. So I'll have to go dig and do some research and it helps me learn as well. Right. So yeah. it's just such a fun community to be a part of. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity and for, you know, this idea, this was your idea to have the podcast and I'm so glad we did it. And thank you for having me on and letting me take the reins. Yeah, it's been great. And and I think we'll probably talk again. Maybe we need to interview you and your husband. I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much, Heidi, for joining me today on the FI Garage. Talk soon. Thanks, Money Mechanic. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.